You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al McEwan. Welcome, everybody, to a very scary edition of the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melker. Happy Halloween to everybody. It's not really going to be that scary. Uh, I guess maybe unless uh, you're a fan of anybody other than the Red Sox, uh, to the Dodgers, I suppose. Uh, disappointing World Series loss, but, you know, they got there. They won another NL title, but congratulations to the Red Sox for their World Series championship. Pretty cool, interesting series, even if it uh, wasn't a seven-gamer, but um, a lot of memorable moments in that one. Uh, but uh, the focus here, it's going to be a little bit more forward-looking. Uh, 2018, it's in the books. It's been in the books from a fantasy perspective uh, for a few weeks now, uh, and you know we've already pretty much started shifting our sights uh, to, to 2019 uh, I've talked on the show a bit about the two early mocks that uh, Justin Mason's organized and uh, already getting a, a jump start uh, on, on 2019. So uh, not going to be talking so much really about you know, player analysis or strategy or anything like that. Again, lots and lots of weeks and months ahead of us for all of that. Uh, although I am going to talk a little bit about a piece that I just uh, wrote and completed earlier today. It's on Rotographs. It's on walk rate breakouts and how basically they almost never happen. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that just because I've been, been working on that one for quite a while uh, and been writing it for the last couple of days. It's finally up, so it's been on my mind. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit, but I'm going to save that for later in the show. Uh, we do have uh, a lot of news as we've now transitioned from postseason uh, into off season, and there are some notable things for us fancy owners to uh, take note of. So Uh, Since the Red Sox, of course, are the big story right now, uh, they're also making some news in terms of off-season activity. Uh, Just earlier today, Wednesday, David Price uh, said that he is not going to opt out of the remainder of his contract, which has got four years uh, still to go, $127 million. That initially reported by Chris Cotillo of uh, MassLive.com. And David Price is a, a, a good uh, and interesting story this this postseason uh, because after having to uh, absorb a lot of criticism for his postseason performance, he turned in a pretty nice uh, pretty nice playoffs on the whole. Uh, finished with a three forty six ERA uh, for the entire postseason, uh, finishing on on a strong note. And uh, he will continue to be a Boston Red Sox. That's always really awkward because I want to say he's a Boston Red Sox, like he's just one sock. Uh, but he's he's a Red Sox. He's he is he is multiplicities. He is uh, he's more than just one sock. Anyway, uh, also not opting out uh, from current contract, Elvis Andrews. Uh, he too has four years left on his deal with the Rangers. Uh, he'll have fifty eight million coming to him still on this deal. Uh, a disappointing season for Andrews this year, and one that you where you really can't, I don't think you can uh, separate the numbers from the injury that he sustained uh, back in April, fractured his right elbow, and just never really got it going, finished with a 256 uh, average, uh, six homers, five steals, and 
while you might be tempted to look at that, look at that and say, well, you know, he missed a lot of time. Uh, he did still manage to get 428 plate appearances, so he missed time, but not not that much. Uh, and the, the numbers were just clearly disappointing. Uh, and I think I've mentioned on the show before, but it's worth mentioning again, and it will not be by any means the last time that I talk about this between now and, say, next March. But from a skills perspective, despite the injury, Andrews didn't have uh, a season that was really all that different from 2017 when he broke out and had a terrific season. Uh, so in terms of uh, the batted ball profile, the hard contact rate, strikeout rate, walk rate, um, everything was pretty much in line. But uh, obviously from that total of six home runs and 428 28 plate appearances, the home run to fly ball ratio was down. The BAPIP was down, which hurt the batting average. Uh, but this is somebody who still pretty much kept his skill set intact despite the injury. And Andrews is somebody that, when healthy, is going to amass a lot of playing time and be really great for counting stats. And I would expect that he'll he'll rebound next year. But I'll dig into that much, much more, like I said, later on in the offseason uh, when I've had more of a chance to, to take an even deeper uh, look at it for Andrews. Uh, also in some other contract news, uh, by the way, uh, this being Wednesday, the, uh, midnight, the end of the day today, uh, is going to be the deadline for, uh, players to decide whether or not they're going to uh, opt out of a contract. So while Elvis Andrews and David Price have made their decisions, Clayton Kershaw has not. Uh, at least not last I look, and I fear because the uh, the uh, deadline is so soon that as I'm talking here, I better do a, another uh, quick check here on it. And yep, nope, still no news uh, on, on, well, wait a second. Okay, so no, this is more speculation here uh, from Bob Nightingale that Clayton Kershaw is going to stay with the Dodgers. But still no official decision from Clayton Kershaw. By the time you're actually listening to this, he may have made a decision, but at least as of right now, as I am talking, Kershaw is keeping open the possibility that he will opt out of the final two years of his contract with the Dodgers. Uh, that would pay him $65 million over the next two years, but we will know for sure by the end of Wednesday uh, whether Kershaw is going to stay or whether he's going to go out on the market. And uh, un- unlike David Price, uh, Clayton Kershaw probably left more questions unanswered than answered. With his postseason performance, Fish with a 4.20 ERA for the postseason and just a 22% strikeout rate, uh, fared much better in the regular season, 2.73 ERA, but by Kershaw standards, that is a little bit high, and he was lacking in velocity and strikeouts, again, compared to his normal standards, and he finished with a pretty mediocre September, whereas ERA was just a little bit south of four. So really, you're talking about September and October, not really uh, in in prime form for Clayton Kershaw. So uh, I think regardless of what he does, if he does stay with the Dodgers, if he goes out on the market, um, you know, I don't think the question anymore is whether or not Clayton Kershaw is the undisputed number one starting pitcher in fantasy overall. Uh, I, I think it's whether, you know, is he still a part of the top cluster? Is he still in the first tier? I think that's, I think it's debatable. And again, that's one I'll dig into. Uh, more as we get deeper into uh, the off season. 
Uh, free agency is set to officially begin this Saturday. That's November 3rd. And already Scott Boris has said uh, in an interview he did with Yes Network, he said that Bryce Harper already has a deal, and this is a direct quote, completed and done with a team that he refused to name. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see uh, if that's the actual deal. If so, we'll see what team it is uh, soon enough. So we may have some some real news on Bryce Harper, you know, by by the time I do the show again next Wednesday. Uh, but that's uh, with Scott Boris. There's always intrigue. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's uh, that's the latest uh, variety of it. We do have a number of uh, players who have had their options picked up by their teams. Chris Sale, he will remain uh, with the Red Sox. No surprise there. Really, none of these are surprises. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt had his option picked up by the Diamondbacks. Carlos Carrasco by the Indians. Madison Bumgarner by the Giants. Sean Doolittle, he'll be a national again next year. And uh, Nate Jones had his option picked up by the White Sox. Uh, A couple of Brewers, Brewers by trade, uh, relatively late this season, Joaquin Soria, Mike Moustakis, they had player options. They both refused their player options and uh, will be free agents. So we also, uh, while we got the free agency uh, date uh, just ahead of us, uh, we also have the qualifying offer deadline coming up very soon, uh, actually this Friday. And the amount for qualifying offers this year is $17.9 million. Of course, it's a one-year deal. Uh, and uh, players have 10 days to accept or reject the one-year $17.9 million quali- qualifying offer. Or uh, you know, if they reject, they can go on uh, go out on the uh, the free agent market. And we actually do have a free agent signing, uh, not finalized yet, but Trevor Rosenthal is working out a deal with the Washington Nationals. And actually, I will admit, in first reading this tweet, that that a really important part of it kind of breezed right by me. And I don't know how literal to to, to take this, but uh, this is from Bob Nightingale reporting this, Bob Nightingale of USA Today. And I'll just read you the tweet. Directly here, uh, Trevor Rosenthal is the first free agent signing of the 2018 winter as the Nats are finalizing a deal to have him, keyword here, anchor their bullpen. Now, given that they picked up Sean Doolittle's option, I, I think, I, again, that just kind of blew by me, anchor their bullpen, thinking, okay, well, he's obviously going to be part of the late inning. But it just occurred to me, maybe I'm not being literal enough with that. Maybe there's, the Nationals are signing Rosenthal to be their closer. So uh, I've not seen any more on this. And again, the deal is not finalized yet. It's not completely done. But uh, that that's one to definitely uh, watch this offseason. Uh, because I just would have assumed that Doolittle was going to close next year. And as a closer, even though he's got the fairly steady history of missing some time due to injury, that when healthy, Doolittle skill-wise and performance-wise is as good as pretty much anybody. And really what sets him a bit apart negatively from uh, the likes of Edward Diaz and uh, Blake Trinan is uh, is the injury history. So that would be a big, big blow to Sean Doolittle's fancy value if uh, we are to read this report from Bob Nightingale totally literally. So uh, interesting. And, and some other big news here, uh, the agent for JT Real Muto, Jeff Barry, Uh, told John Morosi of MLB Network that he expects that Real Muto will not be a Marlin 
by the beginning of spring training. He also said that Real Muto is not going to sign an extension with the Marlins. Obviously, those things go together, but you could you know, sort of put the picture here together that there's not really an avenue. This isn't just speculation about the Marlins' intentions that uh, Barry is saying that Real Muto is, has no intention of remaining a Marlin. And uh, so he thinks that uh, he'll be out of there by the beginning of spring training. That's kind of a big deal. Um, and I say that because uh, there may be a temptation here to think that, well, Real Muto is just going to be the number one catcher, period, for fantasy uh, due to the consistency, due to the playing time, due to, of course, the, the performance, which has improved uh, pretty much every year. Uh, this past year, he finished with a 277 batting average. He set a career high with 21 home runs. He had a 353 Wobo, which is really good for a catcher crop that doesn't have a lot of offensively productive players at it. Uh, but here's here's why I think this is an important development, and there's a little bit of a twist here. That 353 Woba, and I understand that Woba does not correlate perfectly with fantasy value, but it's it's usually a pretty good indicator. Uh, if, if the playing time is there, because again, it's a rate stat. But uh, that 353 Woba that Real Moto put up this year with the Marlins, among all catchers that had at least 300 plate appearances, it was not the highest. It was only the third highest. And Wilson Ramos was the best by a, you know, not a huge margin, but a, a decent margin. And then just ahead of Real Muto was Francisco Cervelli. Now, I certainly hit that, you know, in, in, no universe, in no universe would I be drafting or even thinking about drafting Francisco Cervelli ahead of uh, JT Real Muto or, or, you know, even thinking about drafting him anywhere, you know, near the neighborhood that's near the neighborhood of JT Real Muto. But Wilson Ramos, that makes that kind of a, a, an interesting dilemma. And certainly health and consistency, I think, go in in the column of JT Real Muto. I think those are things in his favor. I think he should still be the number one catcher. But here's what I think makes it not even close, potentially. So Real Muto put up those good numbers as a Marlin this year. As you would probably expect, those numbers got a lot better away from Marlins Park. Uh, the batting average was, was not too different. It was 283 on the road this year for JT Real Muto. He hit 13 home runs. So only eight home runs were at home, 13 on the road. That's a pretty big discrepancy there. And his Woba on the road, and again, overall Woba, 353. Uh, on the road, 372. So you get JT Real Muto pretty much, I think, anywhere but, you know, like San Francisco or, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, where would even, I mean, San Francisco really is the only one that rivals Marlins Park in terms of being a damper on, on hitting statistics. You know, PNC Park wouldn't be great. Uh, Bush Stadium wouldn't be great. But, you know, I think even, you know, a Bush Stadium uh, would be a, a significant upgrade. So basically, and again, I mean, that's just, I'm, I'm not even thinking about potential landing spots. Obviously, JT Romuto is not going to the Cardinals. Uh, but the the point being that I think just about anywhere you could see JT Romuto going, Romuto going, he's going to get a nice upgrade in his hitting environment. Not to mention probably a nice upgrade in terms of the lineup that's, that's around him compared to what he had this year. So yeah, I, you know, I, I took something that seemed obvious and made it sound not obvious, but made it sound obvious again. So yeah, JT Real Muto not being a Marlin next year 
is something that's going to solidify his status as the number one uh, overall fantasy catcher. Uh, and, you know, actually, I'm saying that, and, I mean, I think there's another player there that probably people already have steam coming out, out of their ears. I mean, I think Gary Sanchez also makes that a contest, too. Uh, although he, he comes with big question marks, uh, you know, coming out of this year as well. Um, it's actually be interesting to see how Sanchez uh, does uh, versus uh, Real Muto. I mean, I think certainly, again, you know, as you're talking about consistency, uh, you know, Real Muto's the guy. You know, if you're talking about upside, it's it's hard to uh, argue against uh, against Gary Sanchez. But I think, uh, <laughs> in retrospect, maybe I've overstated this a bit for uh, for Real Muto as you know, not, maybe not a no brainer as the number one, but um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, versus anybody but Gary Sanchez, um, you know, he's he's got a clear a clear edge. Uh, and other news regarding players who are already former Marlins, uh, Marcelo Zuna had surgery on his shoulder on Tuesday. It was a cleanup procedure, according to uh, Craig Mish of SiriusXM, who initially reported it. And uh, Ozuna is expected to be completely ready by the time spring training starts in February. And last little piece of news here. Uh, Brody Van uh, Van Wagenen was named the Mets general manager, and uh, it's it's an interesting choice. <laughs> it's an interesting choice because uh, Van Wagenen is a former agent. Uh, you very rarely see that. In fact, uh, according to a piece uh, that I uh, had read uh, by Catherine Aquavella of uh, CBS Sports, that uh, it's just the second time that an MLB team has hired uh, an agent to be their uh, general manager with Joe Gargiola Jr. being the first uh, with the Diamondbacks. Uh, or, uh, oh, wait a second, Dave Stewart. So, okay, no, both with the same team. So not the second uh, agent, but the second team that has hired an agent. So the Diamondbacks have hired two. Uh, Mets joined that, that uh, company uh, by hiring uh, Brody Van Wagenen. And it's interesting also because of the client list. Of Van Wagenen, uh, most notably Jacob Degrom, uh, but also uh, Jonas Cespedes, uh, No Syndergaard, Todd Frazier. They were all uh, clients uh, of his. So, as part of his deal with the Mets, there's some conflict of interest clauses that have been uh, written in to that deal. Uh, it's been reported and speculated that Van Wagenen may have to recuse himself from certain negotiations. Uh, but there's also been, not surprisingly, recent quotes from Van Wagenen saying that uh, he wants the Mets to keep uh, Jacob deGrom around uh, long-term, although there's certainly been no talk of, of an extension as of yet, uh, but he certainly do a big payday through arbitration. Uh, so that's going to be, I think, one of the big stories in the coming weeks about uh, whether or not we, we hear some talk about uh, an extension for, uh, for Jacob deGrom. So, uh, anyway, I want to, uh, just, uh, get back to that piece that I was talking about earlier, uh, that I've, I've written and is now up on rotographs that I do hope you ch uh, check out on walk rate breakouts for pitchers. Um, and it's, it's particular, I mean, look, it's, it's kind of a, a nerdy esoteric thing, but one of the things I do want to focus on this off season, I will focus on is breakouts because, Every year, this is what we do in the fantasy industry. We talk about our our uh, sleepers, we talk about our bustle, we talk about our breakouts. And 
over the last couple of years, I've really felt like predicting breakouts in particular seems futile. Um, that might be an overstatement, but uh it just it, it just seems like one of the harder things to get a handle on. So I really wanted to take a, a look at it. And, and so initially I was just going to start by looking at overall performance, but then I thought, you know, this is the, I'm going to understand this a lot better if I can break it down scale by scale. So I've started with pitcher walk breakouts. And the, the thing that just kind of hit me over the head with, with doing this research is it very rarely happens, particularly if you define a breakout as something, and I, I think it makes sense to define it this way, if you define a breakout as something that is carried over beyond just a single season, I mean, I think that makes sense because you know, talk about a player as a breakout player, and then they just regress back to who they were the next season. That's not really a breakout. I, for fantasy purposes, fine. You'll take it. You say, oh, you know, I knew that um, you know, Blake Snell was going to break out this year, uh, and he did. You know, and, and so if you own Blake Snell, that you know, probably – Fancy owners that own Blake Snell tended to have really good uh, records because they got a Cy Young quality pitcher uh, for for not much. He was typically going at or uh, beyond the two hundredth pick of drafts. Uh, so yeah, if if you spot a one year breaker uh, for fancy purposes, obviously that's a really helpful thing. But I, I you know I think if we really talk about this in a scope that's that's beyond fantasy and just talk about you know a player who's breakdown who's reached a new level that they can sustain that very rarely happens with walk rates for pitchers in fact uh over the last three seasons using a very very generous definition of what constitutes a breakout and i'm not going to go into all the numbers um it's mind numbing, <laughs> mind numbing, and you can read about it at Rotographs as I plug it one more time. Uh, but I used a very, very generous uh, set of cutoffs to define what a breakout is over multiple seasons, and exactly one pitcher has achieved it in the last three years, and that pitcher was Danny Duffy, and he sustained a breakout that began in 2016 into 2017, and of course, if you followed Danny Duffy at all this year, you know that. That breakout then ended this year as his walk rate went back up above uh, above ten percent this year, uh, and and that's you know that's what qualifies in the last few years is is a success uh, in, in terms of uh, walk rate. So improving a walk rate. Uh, so you know the, again this is not only kind of an esoteric, nerdy, researchy kind of thing, but I it, it has an impact for a number of pitchers going into next year. Uh, because over the last few years, there haven't been that many pitchers who've even made a notable improvement in their walk rate just from one season to the next, much less one season to the next to the next. Uh, but this year, we've got actually I didn't I didn't even write about all of them in this piece, but there are six six pitchers who threw at least ninety innings last season and ninety innings ninety innings the season before, and uh, this year improved their walk rate by at least 10%. And obviously I don't mean 10 percentage points because that would be insane. I mean, just 10% of what their, their rate was the year before. Um, so pitchers who had a very high walk rate in 2017, six of them improved it uh, by at least 10% in 2018. Two of those pitchers in particular, I think are going to be really, really interesting case studies in 2019. The aforementioned Blake Snell, and Mike Clevenger, and Clevenger's the really interesting one because Blake Snell, if he goes back to being 
uh, somebody who walks uh, batters at an eleven percent rate. Basically, he's he's just going back to being like Robbie Ray, and probably better than Robbie Ray because Robbie Ray doesn't just walk batters. He also allows a lot of hard contact, and Blake Snell does not. Uh, so, kind of worst case scenario, maybe not worst case, but a a not so great case scenario, is that Blake Snell in twenty nineteen is is like Robbie Ray. Um, he's going to be, he's going to be must start. He's going to be super helpful with strikeouts unless somehow he regresses there, which seems unlikely given the magnitude of, of the increase in the strikeout rate this year. So Blake, you know, Blake Snell maybe gets a little overdrafted this year, given the risk of, of some walk rate regression, but Mike Clevenger is the interesting guy because walk rate is really the only skill that he significantly improved in 2018. Strikeout rate actually went down a little bit, and he's been sort of suspiciously good at avoiding the home run, Uh, and I wonder if that's going to hold up next season as well. But the one area where he clearly improved in 2018 was reducing his walk rate. Excuse me. So Mike Clevenger, who in the two early mocks was going, and now I'm going off of memory here, I want to say top 90 overall, and I think definitely top 100 overall. So... You know, not not being drafted as an ace by any means, but you know somebody that uh, you know conceivably is is you know being drafted as a number two or number three starter. There's some risk there because if he regresses in terms of walk rate and does not go back to where he was in terms of strikeout rate, and you know then all of a sudden he's he's not nearly uh, as as valuable. As, as he was this year. And this year, he was the number 17 starting pitcher in roto value uh, overall in fantasy. Uh, that's from the ESPN Player Raider. So I think Clevenger is going to be a really interesting guy to watch in drafts next year. And then, obviously, uh, in 2019, just to see how he performs and if he uh, backs up his ADP. But as I mentioned, there are, there are six total. There are four others. Nick Pavetta had a big decrease in his walk rate this year. And he's somebody who already strikes out a lot of batters. Uh, he's got a home run problem. He's got a Babbitt problem. Those might be legit things that won't necessarily improve. Uh, and if they don't improve uh, and the walk rate goes back, he's going to have a lot of problems. Uh, another one is Mike Fires, who I didn't even write about in the piece. Uh, and that's because he's sort of borderline as a, as a breakout pitcher. And partly that's because of his age and, and experience. But also because uh, he has had some seasons in the past where he's had he's kind of gone up and down a lot in terms of walk rates. But I, if I recall correctly, I think this year was hit the lowest uh, of his career, and certainly the lowest uh, in a season where he threw a, a good number of innings. Uh, so I'm just going to verify. So yeah, this was the lowest walk rate of his career. He did have he had a 5.2 percent walk rate this year. Mike Fires four percentage points lower. Huge improvement from 2017 with the Astros. Uh, but then the year before that, he was 5.8%. So was this a breakout or was this a bounce back? Little, It's sort of on the border of that. So I I, I did include him in the study, but I, I abstained from from writing about him. But uh, Fires is somebody who obviously was surprisingly good and valuable uh, this year, but he also had an 84% strand rate. He had a 269 BABIP. And then he had this... Uh, kind of out of nowhere 
5.2% walk rate. So all three of those things really helped him a lot. And I'm not sure you can count on any of those three to be in the same neighborhood next year. So Mike Fires is somebody that, uh, and I think people already would be cautious about overdrafting Mike Fires, but now we just have one more reason. Kyle Freeland, now there's there's an interesting one too. He was not included in the study because the cutoff for improvement in walk rate was 10%. It was 9.8%. He just missed it this year. But again, Freeland, somebody who did improve as a strikeout pitcher this year, but still not a a great strikeout pitcher, you know, merely kind of a good or decent strikeout pitcher. I wouldn't even say good, it's a decent. Kyle Freeland was a decent strikeout pitcher this year. Uh, and so that improvement in walk rate went a good way towards making him somebody that people liked in fantasy this year. And again, if he regresses there, even if he maintains the gains in the strikeout rate, even if he maintains the ability that he's shown in each of his two seasons of avoiding hard contact, you get that uh, walk rate back up there and Kyle Freeland might uh, not nearly be uh, as, as good next year. And then the final one, again, something I didn't write about just because he's he doesn't strike out enough batters to be fantasy relevant, but uh, Mike Montgomery really improved his walk rate this year too. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, the, uh, players who, who can uh, improve the walk rate from year to year and then not, I'm not saying improve it a second year, but at least keep it, keep most of the improvement that you made the year before. Players who can do that, pitchers who can do that in a second season after an initial breakout or improvement, they're really, really rare. And again, Danny Duffy's the only one to do it in the last three years. Uh, there have been a total of 24 players to do it this decade. Not a lot. Not a lot. Um, so I'm sure this is something I'll be revisiting uh, again you know, throughout the season. Like I said, I'll be uh, you know taking a look at different kinds of breakouts. But uh, yeah, those results were a little more interesting uh, even than, uh, than what I was expecting. So I hope you do, uh, do check out the piece. So uh, on that note, yeah, a little bit of a light episode this week. Uh, now that we're you know sort of hanging in the 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 limbo between postseason and off season, uh, I think we're gonna have a lot more to talk about this time next week. Uh, so I do hope that uh, you do continue to uh, to listen. And by the way, I should take this opportunity and really should have done it at the top of the show, if not not in a previous episode, uh, to thank you for downloading, listening. Uh, tuning in when it's it's been a live show. Really thank you for uh, listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour this season. And uh, I will continue to be here uh, throughout the offseason. And, uh, you know, once we get into uh, 2019, uh, you know, I'll be coming to you a lot more often. So, um, anyways, just w- do want to thank you for, uh, for listening. And uh, so that's it. Like I said, be back next week, hopefully with a lot more news and definitely more analysis. So have a great one, everybody. Happy Halloween. Congrats, Red Sox, and have a good one, everybody.